How's it? Welcome to another big game indicating dogs Q and A. I'm not going to do the big ad thing that I've been doing because we've been losing subscribers on YouTube every time I post one of these, probably because of my brutal, repetitive ad at the start of every big game indicating dogs Q and A. So I don't know. There's lots of things I could say here, but I might just get into the Q and A. Uh, I've got Vinny offside in this one, just just sort of mixing it up in case something comes up, but um, let's get into it. Jeff, hey mate, I've got an 18-month-old heading dog I've fully trained on the blueprint. I've shot two deer with them on clearings while he's been laying at my feet, and he found another two I shot without him, then I've gone and got him to find them overall he's really good in the bush my issue is he prioritizes ground scent over wind scent i've seen him pick up a wind scent and win real hard then go straight back to ground scent he was on which isn't always leading us into the wind sometimes downwind or he will follow it up but then pick up ground scent and start following that in a new direction. I probably did more drags than wind when training due to average wind when training. So he's saying in the blueprint we do a lot of uh, scent work with skin and we do skin drags. with So we're laying scent on the ground and we also set the skin up on a pole Uh taking the wind direction into consideration we're basically setting up a scent and then strategically setting the dog up on that scent to train the dog to follow up wind and ground scent both as well as each other and there's a lot to that there really is and i've actually read this question before but i'll read through it so you guys have heard it but Jeff's experiencing problems with this so basically his dog is leaning heavy on the ground scent over the wind scent and this is exactly why we do all our scent work properly in the blueprint so by the time we get out in the field our dog knows how to do both properly and in the blueprint too we do we do a lot of talking about and explaining and demonstrating the way dogs use scent and because the, there's wind, there's ground, there's scent rafts, they can switch between the two. They can actually wind ground scent and there can just be like loads and loads of different things going on. And it's it's as much about training the, the hunter, the dog handler, the dog owner, the person following the blueprint or the person training the dog about how to read their dog and how scent works and all of that as much as it is about training the dog to do it. The dog knows how to do it. The dog will work it out itself. They're amazing hunters. It's all about getting the man and dog or man and woman and dog, human and dog working as a team. So He's saying, I probably did more drags than wind when training due to average wind when training. I'm thinking I need to go back and just do wind scent training, question mark. Yeah, you definitely do. Also, he's taken me to roughly 10 deer 
which we have spooked due to me never really doing a lot of bush stalking or bad wind etc I know it's a matter of time but him prioritising ground scent stuffs us up a bit I reckon cheers so there's a lot going on there um, but basically Jeff his dog is pri or at least he thinks it's the dog's prioritising ground scent and but there's all this other stuff he's saying he's uh, where does it say it um, I've, he's got this dog he's fully trained on the blueprint I've shot two deer with him on clearings while he's been laying at my feet and he found another two I shot without him then I've gone and got him to find them so in that situation where so that dog's found four deer and you and it and you haven't shot one over its stalking so that dog's never seen that situation when it's winding the deer and you see that and the dog moves in on that you both move in on together and then you shoot the deer it hasn't seen that all play out but what it has seen four times by the sound of it if it's found four deer that you've shot in the blueprint the way we explain the best way to do that is is when you shoot the deer then you take the dog to where the deer was when you shot it and the dog tracks the deer from there so not always sometimes a dog will wind scent a deer a dead deer and take you to it on the wind and that's okay but i'm guessing the only four deer that that dog has seen is tracking them the ones you've shot so there's an imbalance there um <clears throat> That, that's about all I can say from that. I would say do more scent work, wind work with the skin. But more importantly as well, if your dog is, you say he's fully trained on the blueprint, that's, uh, what's the frick, I'm having a word block, um, subjective saying he's fully trained on the blueprint but you're saying i did more scent drag i did more drags than wind scent so maybe you haven't fully done the wind thing um you know and and fully trained on the blueprint is also following part 11 and 12 and shooting deer over them in all those different ways using the wind ground tracking using the dog to find a long you know a, a long range shot deer and all these different things so you've still got stuff to go you know that's in the blueprint um which is sweet but that's my uh advice there do your wind work with the skin at home in a training area but also have another look at part 11 and 12 uh, I believe it's in part 11 where I actually talking about strategizing your hunts and really setting that dog up on the wind, getting high on a bush face with the thermal and the prevailing wind, both pushing that wind up that face and getting above where you think deer are and dropping down on them, getting in creeks with the wind coming up 
because that's the way the wind's blowing or the day's warming up. Getting in a creek with the wind coming down because it's at the end of the day and the air's cooling and it's coming down. And just hunt over the dog. Hunt effectively with the dog there and set your dog up. So basically you shoot a deer with the wind in your favour and your dog sees all that and do that a couple of times and it should start falling into place you know um, and that's why part 11 and 12 are there on the blueprint because um, it's all very well to have a well trained dog but you, you do have to know how to hunt over them as well and I sh we show all that in the blueprint you know I shoot I can't remember off the top of my head six or nine deer or something in the blueprint I think it's nine I think it's Prince's first nine deer. Um, and I do a hell of a lot of explaining and breaking it down. And we've also got our free hunting videos on YouTube as well. Big Game Indicating Dogs on YouTube. Where I don't know how many deer I've shot with videos. And videos with print talking about wind, keeping him at heel, him tracking. Loads of different stuff. And, and we will be making a lot more there too. So that's it from me, Jeff. Hope that makes sense. Um, Bridget actually it's Neil using his wife's Facebook account <laughs> uh, hi Paul I have a 7 month old GSP that got scared with her first deer skin drag I've watched the whole series but the dog and I are up to part 5 she's going really well on the blueprint a really nice stop and stay good turns nice and attentive I tried my first wind scent training with a deer skin following your video I cut the wind with her a couple of times until she picked up the smell from about 25 meters out which is pretty typical pretty good she walked in really slowly and sat one meter from the skin perfect perfect she sat one meter from to finish that sentence she walked in really slowly and sat one meter from the skin. I mean, imagine if you could get a dog, your dear dog, to do that. That's what you want. But then he goes on to say, she walked in really slowly and sat one meter from the skin without me giving the sick command. Doesn't matter, man. Perfect. I gave her calm praise, picked up the skin and brought it to her to sniff and lick. I don't know if I probably wouldn't have done that to be honest and again we're, we're, this is nitpicking real fine tuning stuff here um, remember Neil in part 11 or 12 I think it's in 11 when it was Prince it was Prince second deer his first deer was that little seeker that I shot in the creek and we'd had a, a real pain in the ass of a time getting Prince's first deer. I'd been all over the show. He'd winded. Per his first indication was this beautiful, perfect find on the wind in the bush. Awesome point. And I pissed around trying to film it and missed my opportunity to shoot it. And then we had this massive succession of like five or six or seven hunts or something uh, I just could we couldn't get it done. He kept doing his job perfectly, but I just it just didn't come together as often happens 
when hunting and the type of stuff that we hunt here in New Zealand on the bush with a dog. And then finally I got to the point, it actually worked out well for the blueprint and print and everything. And um, I got to the point where it was like, man, I just need to, next deer I see, I don't care if he's pointing it, indicating it, nothing, I'm just going to smack it, you know, and get a dead deer on the ground in front of this dog so he knows what this whole thing's about. And I saw that little, so coming back to camp one night um, and here, and, and the wind's side on, so Print couldn't wind it. And um, here's this little seeker hind standing in the creek, shot that, showed Print. Um, he was all over it, licking it. Took my time, you know, really took my time with it. Um, but that was just like, bang, I basically had to take Print to the deer. Um, I was right by the hut, dragged out to the hut clearing, spent a bit of, let him spend a bit of time with it, really took our time. And the next day I went out and he did a real nice wind on that little seeker stag that I spooked and then <clears throat> it ran off and it stopped, did the old stop and look back and I got a shot in on it but it wasn't that good a shot. Print then tracked it perfectly, this is all in the blueprint. Um, yeah, this stuff isn't in any free videos, it's all in the blueprint and it break, I'm really breaking it down and demonstrating it in there and I'm filming everything print tracking his first wounded deer and he takes me in perfectly I shot it it needed a follow-up shot um, brain shot it at very close quarters he'd shot to finish it off and it was done and 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 then this deer's laying on the ground and Prince just standing in there looking at it I didn't say, hurry up, get in there. I didn't step over him. I didn't grab the deer and drag it to him. I didn't do any of that. I just waited. Just give the whole situation time. And very, very important in certain situations, particularly when you're in that situation where a young dog is doing everything perfect. It's probably perfect. I don't like a dog to be barging on into all sorts of different situations and I've had this but this is people do get this really wrong I sold a dog once to a guy that a few weeks after I sold it to him it his mate wounded a deer and they went and they took this dog to where he shot it and this dog tracked 600 meters took them all the way up to the deer and sat down and the the guy that I'd sold the dog to, his mate that had wounded a deer that the dog that I'd sold to this guy had just found for him, never would have found it without the dog. He said, what, what's wrong with the dog? It's sitting back. It doesn't, it's not like all over the deer chewing it up, doing whatever, for whatever reason, what you may think you may want a dog to do. And indicating dogs there to find the deer take you to it and it's way better if the dog takes you to it and stops then climbs all over it and does whatever you want to do with it you know and and i talk and, and if anything as i'm moving in on a deer or a bit of skin or anything if the dog's trying to bowl in and get too full on i'm toning that down i'm like cut it out that's in the blueprint too so And that mentality starts with the skin work, you know, and um, and giving a dog that time thing when it stops, 
It may sit down. Even a dog indicating, if a young dog just stops and stands there for ages, give it time. Sometimes you just stand. I think in the that thing with print, I stood there for like, I can't remember what it was, at least a minute. Maybe two. And it's um, even a minute, while it's not long at all, it actually is, it feels like a long time when like your young dog, when it's doing its first thing, it just stops and stands there and you really want it to be super interested. But actually what is happening right now is perfect. And if you make the wrong move, you can stuff it up. If you say, get in there and get it, you're teaching the dog to <clears throat> want to get in there and get it, which you don't want that with an indicating dog. You want it to indicate. If you if you try to drag the dog in too fast, to try to drag the deer or the skin to the dog, you're putting more too much pressure on the on the situation. It, it can be very very important. Just keep your cool and just give it time. <clears throat> So he goes on to say, I gave her calm praise, picked up the skin and brought it to to sniff and lick. She tucked her tail between her legs and tried to run away. I held her on the long line, but she was really pulling and didn't want to be near the skin. I took the skin in her home in the car and put the skin close to her. She sniffed it occasionally, but only from a distance. I'm nervous about doing another skin activity as I don't want to imprint something negative on her. Any advice would be much appreciated. The skin was from a stag but shot outside the raw. Okay, so... So that massive rant I just had about that, that's a lot of really important stuff on that subject that... that it's just super important. So anyone listening to this, even if you're not following the blueprint, um, you may end up with a, in a if you're training a dog, you may end up in a situation like that. That's a real that time thing is super super important. <clears throat> the other real important thing is that you keep your cool. And it's the same with um, introduction to gunfire and all of that. There's a lot on all of this in the blueprint. Is that your body language and that you keep your cool if, as soon as your dog reacts to something and you react to your dog reacting then your dog reacts to you reacting to it and you bounce off each other and things just turn to absolute shit instantly as soon as your dog reacts you just need to stop wait and and act and respond very carefully and and the most important thing is is that while your dog's unsure that you're not sort of trying to pull it in saying good dog good dog while its body language is all screwed up because its mind mind space is all screwed up and you're saying good dog good dog it's okay good dog because that's praising it for being scared i've gone over this a hundred times but while we're on the subject i'll go over it again don't praise your dog for being scared of something <clears throat> Neil goes on to say, okay, crisis averted off. This is in another um, comment a couple of weeks later. Crisis averted, I think. I've tried this three times since my original post, including a skin drag this morning. And Neil, the re and everyone listening, the reason I had that rant about 
don't your reaction to your dog's reaction is so important is because Neil says I'm nervous about doing another skin drag with her as soon as you're nervous and then you're like carefully bring the skin out and you go here dog here's the skin and your tone and body language and everything changes and now you're watching the dog's reaction to the skin the dog picks up on all of that shit and and everything just goes downhill again it's a downward spiral so you have to get real confident and calm and relaxed and know everything that you have to do to get through that situation and just attack it confidently and your body language is really important and knowing how to deal with that um Neil says, crisis averted, I think. I've tried this three times since my original post, including a skin drag this morning. She tracks the scent every time and gets to the skin. She is still pretty hesitant within one or two meters of the skin, but has never ignored the scent or gone in the opposite direction. Perfect. <laughs> That's perfect, man. You don't need the dog to make love to it when it gets there. She seems to be less scared with each exercise. I'd appreciate any advice, but I think she is getting there. Well, that's really good news. And I think I just um, sort of blew that whole thing out of the water. Luke, two questions if I could. Fire away. <laughs> How bad is it for the pup to be eating obsessed with cow, horse, rabbit dung, etc.? It's not that good. It's not that good. <laughs> um, I ha and I actually, we actually, I talk about this briefly in the blueprint because print was doing it, and I deal with it briefly and sharply too, and we move on because that's what you want to do with it. Um, I have a four-month-old GSP that absolutely loves it. I think she is slowly learning to just leave it with disapproval command. Yep, perfect, and just keep her moving. That's exactly what you do every single time. Your dog goes to eat shit. You go, ah, and you've got that long line there and you carry on. That's all it is. And if you're in the unfortunate situation where you have a dog that's obsessed with it and is really, really consistent and persistent with wanting to eat shit, you have to be 10% more consistent and persistent with going, ah, and moving on and just keep calm don't get pissed off. Don't get sloppy with it either and let the dog do it occasionally. You're just diligence, man. You just have to you just have to train your dog. And every time it goes to eat it, you go, ah, and you move on. Exactly what I did. I actually did that in the blueprint. There's an example of how I would correct it in the blueprint um, because print was giving it a crack there for a while. Um, and if you're... Let's say your dog tries to eat shit 10 times a training session. If you do it perfectly 10 times, say, ah, no. And then uh, let's say out of 10, you get eight perfect and two, you're slow or you don't do it. Or when you're back home, your mate's there and you start talking to your mate in the driveway and let your pup eat dog shit for half a minute and then you carry on your pup will keep eating dog shit for like ever and you'll do those eight times perfectly but the other two times that you don't do it perfectly offset those other eight times you have to do it every single time every single time and you'll push through it real quick and easy 
Um, but that goes for everything too. Uh, next one from Luke, question number two, any tips to get the pup to sit faster? She was really good at about, oh, that was my other idea about having you sit in on these is you could do the time code things, but maybe next time. Anyway, there's my, um, yeah, brain trying to do two things at once. Uh, any tips to get the pup to sit faster? She was really good at about three months. Now we'll stop when given the sit command and tried. We've, I've talked about this so many times. Um, Luke says, after re-watching videos multiple times, I'm given the stop command, stepping in, pushing bum down as gently as possible and just keep persisting over the coming weeks and see how she goes. That's exactly what you do. Print did that. Um, and then there's, as always in the inner circle, there's a whole heap of comments and people helping Luke out here. And just quick side note here, it is crazy how bang on you guys are with advice in the inner circle. Like I'll quite often see something pop up and I'll think, oh, I better, I'll write something to that. And then I read a couple of replies and there'll always be like the perfect answer there straight away. Um, it's pretty cool. I guess because everyone's on the same page, you know, we've got heaps of people in there that have um, followed the blueprint, like got right into it. Um, so it's really cool for that. Long story short on that sitting one, Luke, is um, print did that too. And it's just keep dead calm. Same with the shit eating thing. Dead calm. Repeat the process. Repeat the process. Keep repeating it over and over and let the dog come on in time. That's a very, very common one. And it's just a patience thing, man. And and that's it. Dustin. Hi, Paul. Loving the blueprint. All is going well so far. I have a slightly off-topic question. Sorry if it's not suitable here. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I have a mixed-breed pup. Mum's a GSP lab and dad's a strong-eyed proven pest control. Uh, I get asked a not by non-hunting types why use a mixed breed like that. I don't know why. So far she is going great. So the breeder must have a reason. Would you know? Could you point out the different traits from each and what could be achieved by breeding dogs like this? He looks like a heading dog, <clears throat> but has the GSP spots. I can't see any lab. I know you aren't a breeder, not asking for an in-depth technical review, <laughs> but just a simple, from your experience in the field kind of rundown. Okay, what was it? A GSP lab. Mum's a GSP lab. Dad's a strong-eyed heading dog. Well, he just says strong-eyed, which I'm guessing is a heading dog. Yeah, I'm 99% I'm sure it is. So it's quarter GSP, quarter lab, half strong-eyed heading dog. 25, 25, 50. Um, in my experience in the field, I guess the field being dog training and being around dogs and all sorts of stuff. I mean, there's two, there's different 
side to this there's my experience in the field is in what those dogs are actually like to hunt over i guess um i haven't hunted over that exact cross um i've trained and worked with in training and watched them come right through training and into hunting and followed dogs for years of almost every blooming cross imaginable particularly if you're talking about anything in the along the lines of labs gsps heading dogs wire hair pointers vizslas and every combination of all of those you can imagine um there is heading dogs now and i mean they always have been 100 percent heading dogs particularly collies way back in the day before um social media and before all this stuff heading dogs and working dogs and collies and hunterways and all of that were, were have always been used in hunting and particularly indicating some of the earlier you know as as well, indicating dogs have been around even longer than what some people think. Some people say, oh, the first indicating dog I heard of was such and such in this year, but there were guys using them way before that and all that sort of thing. But um, definitely, without a doubt, in the last few years, particularly in the last like one or two years, I'm seeing a lot of heading dog crosses in indicating uh i'm sure a lot of that's got to do with big game indicating dogs and the fact that i use them and and there's some other guys out there too with social media there's a few other guys that use heading dogs a lot as well far more popular than what it was and <clears throat> this is a huge subject day eh, but the main reason why i think people do the cross is because they don't want to some pe- a lot of people can't bring themselves to just get a purebred heading dog just, I don't know why I don't know why um, if you're doing just big game indicating work they are very very good people want a heading dog but they also want a GSP or they, he wants a heading dog she wants a GSP or he likes a lab but he likes GSPs as well and he knows heading dogs are good so I'll just combine them all and I'll have just my dream dog and sometimes it works out that way I've seen some really really good crossbreeds um, I really have um, I've seen a lot of pretty average ones too and some that I've seen a couple of lines of particularly heading dog Vizsla crosses heading dog GSP crosses it's a very it can be a very intense cross i have but miko a dog that i have that you're going to be seeing a lot more of is a vizsla heading dog cross from a very nice line she's pretty damn intense eh? like compared to prince she's an absolute dork (laughs) absolute dork on the same token though amazing dog just absolutely bursting with talent and potential it's just off the charts how much she wants to hunt the way she'll hunt it's crazy and you're going to see it but it takes a lot of work man a way more work and time 
and um, uh, so that's that. There's a bit of a rant on that. Um, putting the lab in there does a couple of things, and and it's pretty common. I actually spoke to a guy yesterday. Just random interaction. I um, had to pick up a gun off him actually that I'm taking down the line for a mate, but. Um, and when I got there, I was like, oh, Paul, I followed your blueprint a while ago with this wire here. And then he said the wire here has been intense. He's been good, but he's been really intense. And he said, next time I would get, I would do a, I can't remember if it was a wire here lab cross or a heading dog. I think it might have been a heading dog lab cross. And he said, yeah, I'll do a heading dog lab cross just to get a bit of laziness in there. You know, labs are cruisy and lazy. My This dog's been too intense. So I want a cruisy, lazy one. Labs are lazy. It's it's not <laughs> uh, it's not that clear cut, man. It's just not, you know. And I've seen really bouncy, intense Labradors. I've seen really bouncy, intense heading dogs. I've seen cruisy GSPs. I'm 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 doing the opposites here. Labs are known for being lazy. I've seen really intense ones. GSPs are known for being full on. I've seen really cruisy ones. It, the individual is so much more important. Okay, so that that's a lot of stuff on my experience, and to sort of counter what is you could say is uh, common ideas that are out there. Uh, on another sort of level. And, uh, uh, and re all really legitimate stuff, you could cross a... Heading dogs are great for big game indicating they're easy to train, fast maturing, very, very healthy breed. They really are. Um, but some heading dogs can, can be amazing in the water and actually quite birdie and will retrieve like mad, like mad. And I've seen it at 100% but for reliability and just knowing you're going to have a dog that's going to love birds if you want to do if you want to use a dog for both um, for birds and big game indicating I wouldn't recommend getting a purebred heading dog I'm not saying that it couldn't work and it definitely could and it could actually be really good and it could actually be better than a lot of purpose breed dogs particularly if you don't train that purpose breed dog well but something like that could be great uh, a GSP lab heading dog could be great and even though Miko is quite full on if you train her right which I have and I'm going to continue to and you put the time into it, she has the everything in spades that you need to do both incredibly well. Like, she loves the water, goes hard, very birdie, very interested in big game, has the stalk, the point, the retrieve, the speed, <clears throat> like everything. So that's why, you know, and... Um, If I was to look at that cross, 
the GSP, the lab, and the strong-eyed heading dog, I would say I've got the sensibility of a heading dog. I've got the... If I cross a heading dog with a straight lab, it could solid it, make it beef it up quite a bit and put that lab sort of clumsiness into it. But if I look at a strong-eyed heading dog cross with a lab, cross with a GSP, if I'm looking at it um, purely optimistically, I'm going, I'm going to have the sensibility of the heading dog and I'm going to have the birdiness of the GSP in the lab, but the lab is going to knock the edge off that GSP intensity-wise, but it's not going to be a big, clumsy, slobbery lab either. It's going to have that finesse and stalk and everything of the GSP. So everything's there, you know, and and I've seen it all work out too, and it can be incredible. So... Um, there's just so much to that whole thing and you can you can look at it from so many different angles um, but so much of it comes down to the 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 actual particular line you know if you've crossed a really crazy GSP with a really crappy heading dog and a crappy lab it's it's still going to be crappy but if you make the right mix that's why Miko's got so much potential um her mum was he the, the guy said what why i was like i really like the sound of miko he said her the biggest he used her mum purebred vizsla as an indicating dog and i said what's she like and he said her biggest problem is that she goes in too slow she's winding a deer and it's like 200 meters away and she's stalking all the way in from miles out that in heading dog terms that's extremely weak pull it's like a very very strong light heading dog that instead of rushing up to the cattle it hangs way back and starts stalking from miles away you know and and the and the father was a purebred heading dog small and very strong eyed the same thing you know so and, and then miko to counter that out was the full on the opposite of what to choose in the blueprint and I did that on purpose because I wanted something different for the Palmico dog guide and a bit of intensity to work with and I actually wanted it to be a bit of a challenge and make some mistakes and show you how to fix those and all that sort of thing um, so she, she has the all the raw material to do all of those things but in Miko's case, she has quite a bit of intensity and that's an example of how getting the right line is important, but then getting the right individual within that line is very important as well. Um, yeah. Dustin. Uh, oh, that's what I just answered. It's a cool little photo of his pup sitting there. Andy. Hi, Paul. My German wire here pointer Rocco is 11 months now and we are close to finishing the blueprint. I am really... Is that camera recording? 
Probably not. It's recording on the computer, but we might as well double it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bit of a double backup. Um, <clears throat> cheers, man. Uh, Andy, my German Whitehead pointer Rocco is 11 months now, and we are close to finishing the blueprint. I'm really happy with where we're at. He has good range. And all the basic commands dialed. Rocco does have an issue that I'd appreciate your advice on though. As I feel like it is our last hurdle before hunting can commence. Firstly, I still have Rocco on the long line. Most of the time is... Excuse me. As on lead walking is required in the spots we frequent. Our almost... Every on almost every walk lately, Rocco will take off at some point. Oh, I remember reading this one. Rocco will take off at some point. Too quick for me to stand on or grab the long line. If you've got a dog that takes off too quick for you to grab or stand on the long line, you don't let go of the long line. Real simple. I'll continue reading this question. Despite having been going really well up until that point in the walk. I always managed to call him back eventually, however. I always managed to call him back eventually. However, he is clearly ignoring my commands and often runs off 100 metres. It is usually one or two minutes before I get his attention back. I am not a great whistler, even with the shepherd's whistle. I believe... The taking off is sometimes incited by rabbit, pheasant or quail scent, which are all abundant in almost every reserve I have near home. I am mindful that yelling commands when he is clearly not listening is less than ideal. I am quick to praise him on return and when he is on his way back. Rocco's recall is really quick and instant when I have him under control most of the time. There's that most of the time thing. There's that 80-20 rule that I was talking about before. If you get it right 8 times out of 10 but completely screw it up 2 times out of 10, the 8 times out of 10 doesn't matter and you'll just stay in the same pattern repeating and repeating and repeating. I would appreciate your thoughts on this, getting the issue under control. And then he's giving us an update here. Before I read this update, I'm going to go into that. Uh, you can't let that happen, man. That's a, that's the one of the biggest don'ts, you know, you, you got some real big deal breakers with a deer dog. One is a dog that just puts its nose down and runs off and doesn't listen. Um, if that goes the wrong way on you with a deer dog, you 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 can be pretty screwed. It could be really difficult. You can always wind it back, and I've done it. You know that's what I used to spend all my time doing in deer dog boot camps. Is I'd um I walked them four times a day on the long line, been a hundred percent consistent for a month, not let them get away with it, hundred percent. That dog would just never get away with nothing. 
and then I'll take them into a into a private block that's absolutely chock a block full of deer and just walk them up on deer using the long line over and over and just I do it for six weeks six week deer dog boot camp and just put the a dog that was just absolutely chasing the shit out of everything I just put it through the ringer for six weeks until it just knew that there was no point in even trying to do anything with me um, and then I'd try to get the owner to the point where they could continue with that which often didn't work out but uh, you can't let your dog run away like that man and goes back to I basically answered this whole question when I stopped back there and when you said every now and again the dog takes off too fast for me to stand or grab the long line you can't put the long line down with a dog like that but you still have to use the long line correctly and that means keeping the tension out of the long line um, I might actually make a free video on that because it's so bloody important we've got an old one an old couple of long line videos on YouTube um, about the some of them have got like 20 30,000 views now some of our most popular videos we're going to make a few more of those but um keeping I'm just writing a note here tension out of the long line one of our free videos on YouTube big game indicating dogs on YouTube is about this subject super super important to use it correctly even more important to not let your dog run off like that man you can't do it and you're correct in a way when you say I'm really mindful that yelling commands when he's not listening is less than ideal and it's less than ideal but it's more ideal than having a dog that runs off whenever it wants you say absolutely nothing while it's running away and then you praise him while he's coming back and back and then that just happens over and over again you need to yell at the if, if, if you, and again you shouldn't be in the situation where it's happening but if it does happen you want to put a serious amount of pressure on that dog and leave that dog in no doubt that what it's doing is pissing you off and that it's not supposed to do it pressure on what you don't want praise on what you do want and nothing will work with just praise or just pressure you always need both so you don't want that dog chasing stuff out of control and you need to put pressure on it when it does even if it means like yelling and running after it until it finally comes back and then praise it when when it's back but you've got to put pressure on it man you can't just go oh i shouldn't give my dog a command there's a contradiction to every rule there's that rule of don't give your dog a command that it has the opportunity to not listen to because every time your dog you give your dog a command that it doesn't listen to is teaching it that it doesn't have to listen to you there's that and that this, and that's why it's so damn important to not set your dog up to fail by being a, in a position where there's rabbits and quail and all this stuff around and it may take off and you and you don't have the long line in your hand because now you've put yourself between a rock and a hard place and you, you you can't manage that situation without breaking one of the golden rules and that's what good dog training is is it's the whole system is so you never break one of those golden rules 
you know and and when you look at dog training that way you start you, you sort of turn this way and you go oh shit can't do that oh what about oh shit i can't do that and all of a sudden you're like standing back and thinking really damn hard and working it out you know and that's what the blueprint is it's that um that's my thoughts on getting this under control uh and andy said just an update on this we have made good progress over the last week on reflecting my timing has been off i think i'd been slow to correct the thought as it popped into his head again correcting the thought extremely important um we've talked about this a lot but real quickly for new listeners or whatever um correcting the thought so you're watching the dog instead of your dog starts sniffing the rabbit it pulls out of its range a bit and then it takes off and then you try to say something the, if, if there's no deer around and your dog starts sniffing something you can basically correct it straight away and that's why it's so important to train a hunting dog in the absence of the game that you want it to hunt so you can correct it on things like that so basically um but correcting the thought as soon as that dog's thinking about doing something stupid you're correcting it you're not waiting for the something stupid to happen this week the second i've seen him having a sniff off trail i've been quick to disapprove and then praise the minute he reverts to walking down the track he hasn't run off once this week. Still interested to hear your thoughts, Paul, and how you suggest dealing with the scenario once the dog has bolted. Yep, so everything I just said. But, and another interesting note there, how he's saying about the dog walking off track. So he's maybe walking the dog off the track, but uh, another thing that we do early on in the blueprint that you can do with your dog at home, if, even if you're not following the blueprint, is... When, you tr when we're getting an indicating dog started and it's actually really useful for any type of dog and for loads of reasons and training any type of dog to do anything is get the dog to walk in front of you or if you're training it here get it beside you or whatever um, and walk the same route around the same area so the dog knows where it's going and it just gives you a <clears throat> With this example, once you do it 10 times for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, three months, that dog knows where you're going and then you get to the point if the dog puts his nose down and goes to turn off, you go, ah, <whistles> command of disapproval and you give your walk on command. And that, and your dog, and if there's, as long as there's no deer around, which there shouldn't be where you're training a deer dog, not until you're hunting, you're correcting that dog. So we're not interested in that. You don't know what it's smelling, but you know it's not a deer. So don't know. Really, that's really important. That whole thing I just laid out there. <clears throat> Roma, we will be breeding our two-year-old blueprint GSP big game indicating dog and keeping a pup is there anything we need to do with the pup prior to the start of the blueprint anything we should know about running a mother-daughter combo or is it better to have an unrelated dog as a second big game indicating dog the re relation thing 
running a mother daughter is it better to have an unrelated dog means absolutely nothing it's just no doesn't matter um is there anything we need to do with the pup prior to the start of the blueprint at eight weeks all i can say there and this goes for any pup and this is actually i had a weird message interaction or something with the with someone a while ago on this and they had a litter of pups and they uh, we were friends on snapchat and um they kept showing snaps of these gsp pups climbing all over everything and running everywhere and chewing shit up and attacking the cat they always had the cat with the gsp pups and these pups were all over the cat and just all over her and all over her lap and just super super full-on and intense doing all the stuff that i don't want a pup to be doing after eight weeks old i would look at what we do in the blueprint and let, let pups be pups let them have time with their mum let them run around with each other it's a pup you know and you don't start training until eight weeks none of that but just keep in mind like and and other people have the pup sleeping inside um i'm not saying have two week old pups outside in the winter i'm just saying it's just, it just comes back to common sense and with my pups for example the pups that print and fly had um she had the pups outside in the garage i built a box and had heaps of blankets and stuff in there for them and you know they don't do anything for the first three or four weeks five weeks almost and then as they got bigger and bigger they got more room and then they come out of their box and they had a whole bay in the garage and then i built a pen that went a big loop pen that went right out onto the grass so they could come out in the sun and grass and run around and play with each other and all that and as soon as the pups were old enough i started taking fly away from them for a couple of hours at a time and and as they got to like seven approaching eight weeks old i would take fly out for a good couple of hours so those pups were getting used to mum not being there we interacted with them i patted them all the time picked them up all the time um, had other people and kids and um you know guys and girls and every all the different people picking them up and interacting with them so the pups were used to well socializing used to different people but then they were also used to just sitting calm being left on their own not having mum there all the time and all of that as well and it was i didn't let them do tons of crazy stuff um and this is actually something i've been meaning to make a video on or do something about for ages um I, I honestly think that that's a big part of the reason why quite often people have a really hard time with certain breeds like gsps and vizslas and why a lot of people the week one and two are a lot easier with a heading dog not always but often is because often when you get a vizsla pup it's come from a family in town and the pups have been just running amok for the first eight weeks of their lives and that they've never been um been inside the whole time they've never been outside they've never been outside in a pen outside uh, mum was with them the whole time they've been climbing all over kids and 
people and everyone. It's just been full on. And then you get that pup and start to try and put it through the blueprint and it's a massive shock to the system versus getting a heading dog pup off a farmer that has just been outside in the kennel and running. He's probably built a, um, got a pup pen. Um, farmers do, they have, a, they have exactly that, a pup pen with the, um, so it's a pen, so the pups have a bit of grass and stuff. There's a box in there for them. And they've, they've grown up outside, they've had a lot of quiet time, they know how to just sit and relax on their own. Um, it's much, much easier bringing a pup like that into a crate training, kennel training, and a training situation than it is a pup that's just had this like full blast, um, just carnage first eight weeks in life. Um, that's my answer to that. <clears throat> and that's all I meant when I sent that person a message. Uh, fire out those pups could be a handful. <laughs> <laughs> and they they um yeah some people uh when i say i actually avoid talking to people about dogs outside of q a's and big game indicating dogs and stuff because um i don't know it just gets weird real quick um gareth hi paul two questions I have a six-month-old heading dog pup. She is going really well on the blueprint. Apart from I can't get her to stop crapping in her kennel. She craps before I get to her at six in the morning. And no matter how many toilet breaks she has, she continues to crap in the kennel. Two, she rebels against the command of disapproval combined with a check on the long line. But if I check and ignore her, followed by praising her, she is perfect. Or if you found something that is perfect, just keep doing that. Is this okay? Yep. Should I just roll with it? Yep. <laughs> Should I roll with perfect? Yes. Um, especially if it involves pressure and praise and you're not being too hard on it and it doesn't involve anything I wouldn't do with my dogs it's yes um, the crap in the kennel thing yeah it's a weird one um, she craps before I get to her in the morning no matter how many toilet breaks she has she continues to crap in the kennel that's a weird one man um, it, I mean, it, we print actually crapped in his kennel more than most dogs, and he still takes the occasional one in his kennel, eh? Yeah, very, very mm. occasional. Really occasionally, yeah. And sometimes it's even when he he he's not spending that much time in there, like he'll be cruising around at home. I think he's just he just takes his crap when he wants to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't hold it and he's just like, I need a crap now, I'm crapping, you know. He does he never craps inside. Um and he sleeps inside all night, almost every night at the moment, all the time. Fully house trained, but once he's outside in his kennel it's fair game. Fair game. <laughs> <laughs> um So, you know, but it's weird 
and I have heard of it very, very, very occasionally when a dog, for whatever reason, like almost holds it until they get in the kennel and they crap in there. Um, and it's a hard one. And the house training thing, and it's because you're not, if you're not there to correct it when it happens, it's very, very difficult. And, and that's how we house train. Like in the Palmiko dog guide, when we actually show how we house train a pup. We did it with Miko. Um, it involves being right there. Excuse me, if they do do it, and as soon as they think about doing it again, correcting the thought, we just ah, take them outside, and it actually takes bugger all to train them. Um, with Print, I basically did the same thing later on, or I just waited till he was old enough, and they did, he just sort of knew. just doesn't go inside. I'm, he might have thought about doing it i saw him like sniffing around lining up to take a piss and just ah get outside you know did he down in the far room i just like woke up to it rant he's never done it with me yeah, yeah. he's never done it since i don't know if he was just like super busting yeah he must have like. the amount of things that the dogs will do different when i'm not around day is crazy like mm, that's real common too but um man I, like yeah it's a strange one six months old i probably wouldn't be too bothered about it like i said print print had his moments he stopped and started he, he went through a phase where he just stopped shitting in his kennel and he'd wait and i let him out um, and he'd go one thing I would say about that with the blueprint system is is when we're basically putting the long line on the ken on the pup in the kennel and it comes out with a long line on goes back in with the long line on um, and if you're constantly moving and training you you may not be giving your pup the opportunity to take a crap while it's out of the kennel so you could think about that give it a bit of time there um, yeah, but it still is a, a very unusual one. I'd say don't stress out about it too much. One thing I would say is clean it up straight away as soon as your pup craps in there, get rid of it, hose it out. Um, is it crapping in its run? Does he say that? Um, yeah, clean it out. And, and man, six months, it's so young, eh? You, you, there's not much you can do and try to tell it off or anything like that. I'll just, yeah, I'll just leave it at that and let us know how you go. Um, or if she keeps doing it. Um, and I will try to elaborate on it a bit. Um, Alex, hi, Paul. Our pup is coming up five months old. She, she's doing really well on the blueprint. I have three kids at home. How do I stop her from jumping and biting? Uh, put a long line on it. With the long line. Exactly with the long line, man. Part one of the blueprint, I introduce print to fly with the long line. And I have fly further away from me than the end of the long line. And I'm holding the long line. And when print goes to just go flying on in, I stop him with the long line. I would, if you're you're having a problem with your pup, 
jumping all over your ki- jumping and biting on the kids i would set up a scenario like that with the kids and i'd hold the end of the long line and when the pup goes to do it i'd correct it stop it and that's actually a really good demonstration i think we even say you can here i'm going to introduce print to fly and you can use this system with kids or introducing your pup to anything but really and and that's how you do it man it's super blim and simple it's you tie you know there's a you tie a bit of string around the dog and you stop it from doing it and pressure on what you don't want praise on what you do want so if the pup wants to interact with the kids right you need to set up that scenario where you can stop the pup from doing it and in that case where I'm introducing print to fly, I actually do it non-communicatively. So I don't say no print and pull them back and then say no print and pull them back because this is the whole thing with non-communicative training. We do a lot of it in the blueprint. We do it with range and stops and loads of things later on. But um, non-communicative training is for me is training with the long line and using the long line to control the dog or stop it from doing things without me saying anything and what that actually does is it teaches the dog that if I always say no don't do that no don't do that then that leaves it open for the dog to want to do it if I don't say it but if I do it with non-communicative training with a long line and if the dog just goes to run and jump on a kid, I just say nothing and I stop it with a long line and it tries again and I stop it and I tries again and I stop it. Eventually the dog just stops and it that's the dog learns that it just doesn't do that in that situation. It's nothing about a command. It's, you just don't jump up on kids. And I stop it with the long line until the dog realizes it can't do it and then that's pressure on what I don't want, using the long line to apply pressure. And as soon as you see the pup or dog sort of realize, oh, hang on, okay, and you see them go through that awkward moment of, I know I can't run forward, but I want to, and they, they're sort of stuck in the middle, standing there for a second, thinking about it. As soon as they stop trying to do what you don't want them to do, that's when the kids step in and go, good pup that's praise on what you do want and if the pup tries to jump you go up and the kid steps back you pull it back with the long line as soon as it waits again and because you want it to just sit nicely so your kids can pat it and your kids and your pup or dog can interact together normally they can run around and play and throw stuff later on but the first step is just to teach that pup how to interact with kids in a normal way without jumping up and clawing and biting and that's just that dynamic of reading and timing and pressure and praise and pressure on what you don't want, praise on what you do want. Put pressure on the pup when it goes to jump up. As soon as it stops, pat it. And sometimes you'll sit there and the, the pup will try to jump three times and you pull it back three times and then it'll wait for four seconds. So you step in, you start to put a hand on it, it starts to jump up within like two seconds so you pull it back down and the kids step back this is application and releasing of pressure and praise i need to make a really good video on this too um 
I'm just writing a note here. Can you write that down? Applicate, application and releasing of pressure and praise video. I think I've already got that in a note somewhere. I've been meaning to make it for ages. It's just this whole thing, guys, is so important. Reading, timing, applying and releasing pressure and praise. So when I talk about applying and releasing pressure and praise, as soon as the pup sits normally, you step in and pat it while it's doing the right thing. As soon as it starts jumping up and being an idiot, if, if it sits normally for two seconds and the kid just gets its hand on it to pat it and then it starts jumping up and the kid continues to pat it for two seconds while it's jumping up, you've just patted the pup for sitting and patted the pup for jumping up and the two cancel each other out. And the pup learns nothing. The second that pup jumps up, you've got to go up on the long line and the kid's got to pull its hands away. And then the second the pup, all four feet hit the ground, you release all the pressure on the long line and the kid can step back in. And the second the pup opens his mouth or lifts a paw off the ground, you the kid goes back, you pull back. And if you like nail that timing, application and releasing of pressure and praise, You'll teach a pup that's been jumping all over kids for four months. You'll teach it not to do it in like four minutes. The beginnings of it, you know, you'll get the idea across and then you don't do anything with that pup for two days and then it'll sort of try to do it next time. But if you do everything right, it'll pick it up again quicker. If coming back to that 80-20 rule I was talking about earlier, if you do that perfectly eight times and then one time your kids get home from school before you and they go, no, we're not going to do that thing dad's doing with us with the long line, let's just let the pup out and it can jump all over us, you go back to square one. But if you do that whole thing properly every time for a little while, it'll just be all sorted. Um, if you do it incorrectly for another few months, you may end up with a pup or dog that does that for the rest of its life. Um, oh, <laughs> just kick the table. Um, Dean, hi Paul, any advice about stopping chewing in a GSP lab pup? Dude, I'm guessing that's the name of the pup. Dude has gone through seven types of bed. <laughs> including, <laughs> including allegedly chew-proof options. Destroyed car seat belts, underfloor insulation, sunglasses, after breaking into the house, the cat door, pretty much anything can get his mouth around. Damage and dog proofing bill is currently sitting around $3,000, so any advice greatly appreciated. And like usual, someone's answered it perfectly Patrick has said sounds like too much free time buy a dog kennel <laughs> buy a run a dog run and kennel and that's the answer man you, how old is it advice about stopping uh, uh, yeah 
nowhere in the blueprint do I show you to give your pup or dog the opportunity to chew seat belts, sunglasses, cat doors. It just doesn't exist in there. You're not following it. Um, this is why kenneling's so freaking important, guys. <laughs> it just is. Like, um, someone asked somewhere a while ago, hey, just started following the blueprint. Um, and it was more of a question to the members of the inner circle than on a Q&A. Hey, guys, just got the blueprint. What do you reckon about, like, following the blueprint without doing the kenneling bit? And there was almost, I can't remember exactly, but there was almost a couple of like, ha ha, you're dreaming type of thing because it's, it's so freaking important, eh? For so many reasons. Um, and this is just one of them. And what happens if you give a pup or dog that much freedom early on and it does $3,000 worth of damage, um, you've just, that's $3,000 worth of training your dog to chew stuff. We'll just let that sink in a little bit. <laughs> uh, it is. And that's why it's so important. And, and um, that kenneling and not set in long line work and one-on-one -on -one work and not setting your dog up to fail and, and always setting up to succeed is training your dog to... is, is moulding a dog, raising a dog that doesn't know how to chew stuff. You know, and they get to a certain age where they just don't anymore. Um, but if they're in a situation where they're continually chewing stuff, they'll learn to, it'll become a habit and they'll chew stuff forever. And now you've got a dog that has to be in a kennel forever. Or you can't let it free around the house and that. Because Print and Miko had a lot of crating and kenneling in the first year of their life and they never really learned any bad habits. Now Miko's like 18 months old, maybe coming up two, Print's like four and Miko was still a bit chewy she's just got to the point where she's pretty freaking good now yeah, there's a few been a few times where um yeah I've just like dogs have been chilling outside with the door open and coming and going and stuff and I've like holy shit my shoes are on the ground there my jandals are over there all this crap's lying around she hasn't destroyed anything um but she was for any for ages you um even someone come around and hide the dogs out and they leave their shoes out, I'd say, bring your shoes in, man. <laughs> you know, like, just don't even, yeah. Um, so it's just that. It's, it's, and it comes back to those principles. Just don't set a dog up to fail, you know. Um, AJ, question, I have a nine-week-old heading dog pup that's just starting out on the blueprint. When I give the puppy some playtime, is it okay to throw a ball for it or will this chasing of the ball potentially cause issues later on down the track with the dog potentially learning to want to chase? Man, it's, it's so subjective that. Because of how long are you doing it? How are you doing it? How much are you planning on doing it? How much are you training and all that sort of stuff? This comes back to one of those things. If you're following the blueprint and you want to... Because some people say, how much time with my kids is okay? Is it all right if my dog sleeps by the cat? Is it... Can I throw a ball for my pup? All of these a million different variable things is common sense all within reason 
but the golden rule is if you're following the blueprint properly doing everything properly um but you're throwing the ball for the putt for five minutes a day and all of the training is going well then it's okay but if you start to run into trouble and certain things are starting to happen while you throw the ball the putt won't bring it back and it starts to run around and shake the ball and tear off and all of a sudden it won't come back and then your next training session isn't as good then it's an issue so I would say in general it's potentially not a bad idea I'll also say though that whole thing of not doing it properly and doing it too much and loads of other things can be really freaking bad you know when people start playing the whole chasing game in the Palmico dog guide we actually do retrieving training with Miko super basic um, and I'm actually probably going to make like a retrieving boot camp video series with Miko um, that will be available sometime this year um, probably a deer dog boot camp video series that will be available with her too because she's been she Miko at the moment she's been hunting with me a couple of times because I've introduced her to the gun and she's got a really good heel and I've done a bit of mucking around with her around water and a few obstacles and she's been running around in the paddocks and I've made sure that I'm not going to take her hunting and freak her out in the bush she's not scared of the gun and I can keep her in behind and she's come hunting with me and print a couple of times and seen a, seen a deer and stuff like that. She's just, like I said, she's just like bursting with, um, she's going to be a little bit of a handful, but um, as long as I'm careful and patient, she could be just like ridiculously good at big game indicating and also a very good bird dog as well, including water retrieves. Loves the water and just a beast in the water real she's real birdy too but um man i just completely lost myself there just frothing on how good miko is going to be but um uh the nine week old um we talk a little bit about that in the palmico dog guide how to do it properly um actually we've got a free video on youtube and facebook talking about retrieves too pretty damn similar stuff um, not quite as structured and only one video um, but there is a free video there on YouTube talking about some basic ins and outs of the retrieve getting a hold going first um, introducing steadiness to it and a few other things it's not it's actually uh, yeah the one in the Palmico dog guide is much better um, that's my answer to that man it could be fine but it could also completely screw it up if you do the wrong stuff with it um we can do a tack on of the palmico dog guide for a really good deal if you've got the blueprint and not the palmico dog guide if you want to do that and check that out um yeah that's it uh welcome to all the new signups on the blueprint um, if you want to check it out, if you want to check out more about the Deer Dog Training Blueprint, Big Game Indicating Dogs, um, the Deer Dog Training Blueprint is just a 12-part, 15-hour video series where I filmed everything I did 
training my own dog from start to finish, breaking it all down, explaining everything, principles, the whole lot. Um, 12 months of training, or 10 months of training, um, and then a few months of hunting, shooting prints first, nine deer and all of that. BigGameIndicatingDogs.com for that and you can also check out loads of stuff loads of posts from people that have followed the blueprints and stuff from me as well at uh big game indicating dogs on instagram and facebook and we've got hunting videos on free stuff on youtube um when i look back at our old training videos on youtube they're pretty shabby um they were just free stuff we were making really quickly while we were putting all our energy into the blueprint um, the blueprint is very different to any of our free stuff. It's it's extremely structured, very serious. Um, a lot of scripted stuff in there. A lot of uh, yeah, really seriously broken down, explained, demonstrated, step by step. It's pretty full on. Um, that's it. Later. <laughs>